Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm especially excited uh, for today's talk because it's really going to be this, this intersection between Torah, art, and philosophy. And, and really, we're, we're mostly going to be dealing with the, um, with the shapes of the letters, um, particular letters, and, and you'll see there's such, um, there's such symbolic depth to all of the letters. And we know that on a mystical level, we say that God created the world with the Hebrew letters. And so that's, that's a little bit of a strange concept. But if you actually think of it in terms of physics, if you think that each letter is another um, marker for a, another uh, energy level or wave or whatever it is, and then you see the combination of the letters as these sort of combinations of God combining the outer garments of his light, of these different energy frequencies, then you can get a more sort of like um, contemporary appreciation of what it means that God created the world with the letters. So there are these holy energies, basically. But the shapes of the letters are, are very, very important, and very important to the sages going all the way back to the beginning of Torah. And, and you can learn certain things out from them. You can almost think of it as the DNA of the universe. Like, for instance, when scientifically speaking, when you isolate a piece of DNA, you can say, well, who, whoever this DNA belongs to um, has blue eyes. You can actually see that within the DNA itself. So there's certain attributes, since the world was made out of these letters, if you isolate the letters and the shapes of the letters, you can actually dig down deep into the DNA of the universe in terms of God's plan for the universe, and you can see different attributes that the world has and that history has. Like you can see, like isolating DNA, what that person is going to grow to. So, so it is, if you zero in on the letters, not only can you tell certain things about the nature of the universe, but you can actually see where the universe is going. And so, so all of this involves like profound depths of Torah. Like, so for instance, let me give you just, a, just another way of just understanding where this, where this talk is going, just so we can fully enjoy it and appreciate it, God would. So imagine I'm driving you in a car and you know, you're seeing like all this beautiful scenery. You're seeing mountains and you're seeing lakes and, and all sorts of things like this, right? But then all of a sudden, like the car, like, you know, I press a button and two wings come out of either side of the car. And then all of a sudden you're flying around and you're seeing like hawks and eagles and giant cloud formations. And then like blasters like kick off in the back of the car. And now you're seeing like galaxies and planets. And then all of a sudden the car dives all the way down and you're on the bottom of the ocean seeing like amazing fish and like, you know, the, the bottom of the ocean, which is an entire unexplored world. So you see there are all these different levels of creation. And you see that in Torah study as well. There are all different ways to look at the Torah. And you can, you can understand the, say, the, the literal meaning, the pshat, the the, the halachic meaning, what it's actually instructing me in terms of my day-to-day -day life, you can go down to the depths of it and see the sod, the secrets of the Torah. So this would be more in the realm of sod that we're talking about right now, because we're really talking about the letters themselves and what they tell us about not only the world and ourselves, but also about the destiny of the world. Okay, so with that as an introduction... There are a few things that we're going to try to unpack over the, over the course of this. One of them is a very interesting thing that only occurs once in the entire Torah, um, which is, it's in the word shalom, which means peace and, and completion. Shalom is, um, has as its root the word shalem, which means like the totality, the completion of something, right? So when there's peace between people, then there's a there's a unification between people, meaning to say that we're completing each other, right? So shalom is a, is a very, very important word, and it's also a name of God. Now, in, in Parshas Pinchas, which we just read, the vav, the letter vav, which is a straight line, the letter vav has a break in the middle, right? There's like a little like slash mark through the letter vav of shalom, which is kind of strange, right? Because 
Here we're saying that shalom means completion and everything like that, and yet one of the letters is, is broken within shalom. So this is a scribal tradition, and you can, you can see it with your own eyes in, the, in a Torah scroll. I've seen a Torah scroll, the one that we have downstairs has like almost like a, the, the tiniest line through, through the letter Vav, like almost like a, the width of a razor blade. It's like really small. And I've seen other Sefer Torahs, Torah scrolls that have like a chunk out of the Vav. So it depends, I guess, how you write it. But either way, that, that Vav is incomplete. So what is that telling us? Again, you, you feel this tension. Shalom comes from the word shalem, which means complete. On the other hand, we've got this Vav, which is not complete, right? So, so we're going to plumb the mysteries of the broken Vav. And it's going to take us from the Garden of Eden all the way till Mashiach, with a stop at Mount Sinai, okay? It's going to be really like a very, very comprehensive view of everything. And where I want to begin today's talk is actually, we're going to, we, we sort of uh, touched on it a little bit last week, which is the letter He. Now, we know in, in um, Gomorrah Menachos, on page 29, the sages say that God created this world with the letter He. And, and again, the shape, we're talking about the shapes of the letters. So you really you know, get, are getting into almost uh, the artistry of creation, the artistry of creation. So, so, uh, so you have the letter He, and I'll describe it to you. It's, it's really worth seeing it with your own eyes in case you're not familiar with it. You can just Google Google images, the letter He, Hebrew, and, and it'll give it to you. It's, it's a pretty simple letter. It's, I'll draw it for you in the air here. It's sort of like a, you know, like a backward set or the, the number backward seven, perhaps. I don't know whether it's a seven, but anyway, you just have to look at what a He is. And then you see there's a line on the other side, too, that doesn't go all the way up to the top. So there's a hole down on the bottom. And then on the other side, there's a little hole toward the top of the thing. Okay. So the sages say that this world is like a letter He. And they compare it to a pavilion that anyone who wants can just walk right out of it. Right? That's through that large opening. Okay? But you can go around and you can get back in. <laughs> That's the little opening at the top of the head. Right? If you, if you have a change of heart, if you want to do tshuva, as we say, tshuva means return. If you want to return to God, there's always an opening for you to be able to do it. Okay? And, and, and that never goes away. And if anyone ever tells you it goes away, they're lying to you. Tshuva always remains a constant in the world and in people's lives. And if you feel like um, whatever it is, like you're just so blocked, Rabbi Nachman gives amazing advice. He says, tell yourself, I'm going to start all over right now. Like you have the ability to start all over any second in your entire life. Because the world is literally made out of the fabric of beginnings. Every single moment is a beginning. And that's not just a happy thought. That's actually the physics of creation. There is an opening and a new opportunity every single moment of your life while you still have a breath. This is the reality. Okay. So, so you, you might have a question, which is when you picture the letter hey again, you've got this big opening on the bottom. Why do you have to go all the way around <laughs> to the top, to that smaller entry point? Why don't I just walk in through the big entrance? I left through the main, ent- I left through the main entrance. Let me go back in through the main entrance. And the Gomorrah itself explains to you, you can't do that. It's not possible. So I really wanted to, I thought, contained within that statement, and then the, just the Gomorrah in its typical way drops this amazing revelation, doesn't explain it, and then moves on to the next topic. So you really need the sages over the course of Jewish history, and thank God we've had the most amazing sages, to explain things like this, right? So I wanted to know, because I felt like there was a real insight into the human condition. Why can't you go back through the big opening in the hay? Right? You left through it, so just go back that way. It's the closest entrance. Okay. So I'm going to tell you um, an explanation from the Marsha. 
The Marsha is one of the greatest commentators. And in Torah matters like this, especially what we call Agadata, the more sort of way out um, things in the Talmud, he is like the first go-to place. Like if you're learning a Pasuk in Chumash in the Torah and you have a question, the first place you go is to Rashi. If you have a question on a Agadata in the Talmud, the first place you go to is the Marsha. Okay? So the Marsha bases something on the Rambam. Like why, again, the question is, why don't we just return through the large opening that's right there? Why do we have to go all the way around to that smaller opening at the top? So the Rambam explains like this. If you want to change a character trait that you have, let's say you're a certain way, you know, on a particular issue, and you're not really happy with that character trait that you have, and you want to improve it. So the Rambam says, listen carefully, you have to actually go to the opposite extreme. You have to do the opposite extreme of that thing. Let's say, for instance, a person is very stingy. You have to be very generous. Very generous. And by the way, one way, let's say, you say, well, I would love to be very generous, and I also happen to be broke. So how am I going to be very generous? So here's the thing. You you make a, a roll. You go to the bank. You get a roll of quarters or a roll of dimes or nickels or whatever it is. And everyone who asks, you give. In other words, the heart is a muscle. And it has to be conditioned to, to give. And it's like you're going to the gym every time you give. It's not even so much the amount. So, so every single person is capable of going to the opposite extreme. Like even when it t- comes to giving, right? Okay. If you do that, says the Rambam, what happens is, is that you'll settle in the middle. At a certain point, like the rest of your personality will come in and you will sort of self-correct and you will moderate and get to what they call the golden mean, right? And, and that's how you do it. You don't like something about yourself, you go to the opposite extreme and then you'll settle in the middle. Okay. Now I should say that just as a PS, just for me, that doesn't apply with drug addiction and things like that. Because once you are an addict, you can't use ever. And if you think, okay, now, now I've quit, and now I can use occasionally, the occasional user will become the regular user and the addicted user within a matter of days, hours, weeks, whatever it is. So, so that wouldn't apply to addiction. Okay. But I'm talking about personality improvement. So now look how the Marasha amazingly, creatively applies that teaching of the Rambam to our question about the letter He. Okay, again, we have the letter He with a big opening on the bottom. You, you leave. Remember, the He stands for this world. God made this world from the letter He. So you leave through this entrance on the bottom, which means you, you, you abandon God, you abandon Torah, you abandon what, what, what is the proper path in life. And then you, you want to go back through that same entrance. So the Marashai is saying, no, 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 no. If you, if you want to really fix yourself, you have to go all the way to the opposite extreme, to that little hole on the other side of the hay, then you can get back in. So that's, that's one explanation. Very interesting explanation. Now, I'd like to give another explanation. This is from me, which is, remember the letter hay, and I just, just as an aside, I just, just to appreciate... Um, you know, the, this world is, is, is compared to a sukkah. And you know, by the holiday of sukkahs, one of the lessons, one of the teachings is, is that we leave our homes and we go into this like very flimsy kind of hut that we construct. And if you, if you make it out of like concrete blocks, the walls out of concrete blocks, you would say, I'm a, I want to have a beautiful solid sukkah. It's not kosher. The whole point is to teach you the temporariness of life and the temporariness of this world. And to actually make you love that idea. (laughs) Because you have to make your sukkah beautiful in a place where you live. And so when you're at peace with that idea, it's just like you just get so much more out of life because you realize it's fleeting. So I'll tell you something. Here's a psychological study that I heard about in one of these podcasts which is that if you, if you give someone, like you open up a box of chocolates, okay? And you, you say, here, here, 
have, have a couple of chocolates, everything like this. So, oh, thank you, that's so nice. So you eat one chocolate, then you eat another chocolate. And then the person says, take another chocolate, but this is the last one. When they eat that third chocolate, that will be their favorite of all the chocolates that they ate. If you tell them that it's the last one, they will enjoy that the most because they will savor it. They will savor it and they will appreciate it. And so the sukkah is kind of like that last chocolate. (laughs) It's like that reminder, all of this is fleeting, but you know, at the same time, you're having festive meals and you're singing and you're in this like, like super cool place and you're loving it. You're loving life even though you, you understand that it's not forever, and maybe even loving life that much more, because you understand that it's not forever. Okay. So why am I talking about the sukkah? I thought we were talking about the letter hey, right? So, because the letter hey, halakhically, is the contours of a sukkah. <clears throat> a sukkah only has to be two and a half walls. Normally, like, like, like a sukkah surrounds you. And in fact, the Vilna Gon says a very famous Torah, which is that in the word sukkah, samech, chaf, hey, you have the halachas of building a sukkah. So the samech is a circle. It completely surrounds you. That would be like maybe the best kind of sukkah, if, if, you, if you will, because it's totally encompassing. Then you have the chaf, which is like a like a, a U on its side, it's got one open side, right? So that's three walls. That's also kosher. That's okay for a sukkah. But the letter hey has two sides and half of a side. So two and a half sides, and that's also a kosher sukkah. So the letter hey, which God made from this world, made this world out of, is also a kosher sukkah. In other words, this whole world is just like built from this fabric of reminding you that it's just like appreciate every single moment. Appreciate every single moment while you have it. Okay. So, so, so what does it mean to leave the letter hey? I want to talk about, again, why you can't go back in the way you came. And this is my insight, okay? So, so it says in Perkei Avos, it says, three things take a person out of this world. Now, do you see why I'm bringing this thing from Perkeavos? Because what are we talking about? The letter He is this world. And we're talking about the person who left through the large entrance. And now Perkeavos tells you three things take you out of this world. So now we're getting into the psychology of why the person left to begin with. That's what I want to explore. Why did you leave to begin with? All right? So what is it that Perkeavos is telling us takes you out of this world? Or I would translate, makes you leave the letter He. So so by the way, you should should know that in many holy books, the name of God is, is, um, is encapsulated with the letter He too. Sometimes it's an abbreviation. They'll do hey slash, like a, a apostrophe. So in other words, what's making you leave God? You can, you can ask the question that way as well. Right? So it says three things take you out of this world. Kina, Taiva, and Kavad, which would be translated as jealousy, lust, and honor. Right? The pursuit of these three things. And so, but, but Why? Right? Because let's say, you know something? You know why I'm leaving the letter hey? You know why I'm leaving the pavilion? Because, you know what? You have what you like. I have cheeseburgers. And I can't have a cheeseburger inside this pavilion. <laughs> They're just not serving it. So if I want this thing, I have to leave in order to get it. If I want this particular desire of mine fulfilled, I have to leave in order to have it fulfilled. I can't stick around here. It's not going to be fulfilled in here. Right? I am jealous of this person who doesn't have to do the things that I have to do. So if I want to have those things, I have to leave in order to get those things. 
So do you see how kina, taiva, and kavod, all these three things take a person out of the world, cause you to leave the letter He. But the truth is that there's an opening that comes back in. There's an opening where you can return. And that always remains open. And when a person, you know, sometimes what happens is, you know, I, I don't think it comes from a Jewish source, but it's, I think, a, a very deep insight, which is they say sometimes more pain comes from answered prayers than unanswered ones, which is a, a, a strange kind of a, a heartbreaking irony that sometimes we so want something and sometimes we actually get it to our detriment. And we realize, wow, that wasn't so great. But something good can come from that. Many good things can come from that. Because even though a person has fallen spiritually in that process, they now have the ability to rise even higher than they were before. Because they realize, you know what I know now? I know now that that's not the answer. Um... My father, Olav Shalom, used to talk about a lot what he would, what's known as the null hypothesis. Um, the null hypothesis is when in uh, a scientific lab, they're trying to prove something, and sometimes it can take years and tremendous expense to do an experiment, and then they, they find out that that thing doesn't work. But, so you say, well, the whole thing was a failure. Well, not exactly. Now they know that thing doesn't work. Right? I know in my own life, the the null hypothesis um, played a very large role. Because, um, you know, I checked out many things on the the way along my, my spiritual path. And I realized that's not the answer, and that's not the answer, and that's not the answer. And then you realize at a certain point, you know, that, that thing which was deepest inside you the whole time, that, that is the answer, right? But, but now you know, now you know, in a way you didn't know before. So, so, so sometimes they say that the descent is for the purpose of the ascent. And I heard a, a beautiful thing, I don't know if it was from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, but, but it's, or no, I think actually it's from Rebbe Nachman, it's from Rebbe Nachman, that that when a person jumps, if you, if you want to... What, what happens when you jump is first you bend down your knees, you go lower, and now you jump, you go higher. So the, go, the going down was just for the purpose of the rising up. Okay? Because you learn lessons you didn't know before. Now you have to understand that, um, that we have two aspects to ourselves. We have the what we call the nefesh behema and the nefesh sikhlias, which is the more um, animalistic nature of our being, which, you know, needs, wants, has to have survival-oriented like this. And then we have the more elevated heavenly aspect of our intellect, which is sort of guiding us into the highest, most beautiful places, right? And oftentimes they're at odds with each other. But God puts the attributes that we have, the more um, primal, animalistic aspects within ourselves, what we call the nefesh behema, the animalistic nature of our soul, right? In order, and we all have it within us, in order to elevate those qualities, we're supposed to, what's called sublimate, we're supposed to sublimate, sublimate, make sublime those qualities within us and turn those things into something refined and beautiful. So now let's return back to these things that, that take us out of the world. Kina, taiva, and kavod. Okay? So kina, again, is jealousy. Right? So there's something in Torah known as kinas sofrim, which means the jealousy among scholars. So it says that, that jealousy among scholars increases wisdom. And how does that work exactly? If you have a friend and your friend all of a sudden is, oh, is, is in Daf Yomi, he's learning a page of Talmud every single day. 
and, and oh wow, they're having the big festival. He's been doing it for a while and they're, they're completing the entire thing. And I want to do that. I, I want to learn all of Shas. You know, if you have that sense of jealousy for the other person's level of learning, then, then you want to increase your learning. So, so the kina, the jealousy, actually becomes sublimated, it becomes refined, and you become a better person from having that jealousy because you're channeling it in the proper way. Okay? You're becoming a better person for it. Taiva. Taiva is that uncontrollable urges. That's what taiva is. I have uncontrollable urges for all sorts of things, and it's very hard for me to, to, to control, right? But, 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 but David Amelech, King David, said that he has this relationship of taiva with his love for God, right? He has channeled this, this uncontrollable urge for wanting to be with God at every single moment in every single way. This is what we call dveikas kite. Dveikas kite is, is clinging to God. You're in a, a love affair, an ongoing love affair with God, right? You, you drink some coffee. Ah, oh, God, thank you so much. It tastes so good. Mm-hmm. Thank you for making coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't have to make coffee. We could have had a world without coffee. <laughs> now I'm like awake and I'm loving this thing and I've got my ritual. I put in my sugar, <laughs> put in just the right amount of milk. I stir it. It feels hot in my hand, right? It's like... <laughs> You love it, right? But you're not just experiencing it as a physical thing. You're experiencing it as something that you're, the one who loves you the most is giving you right now. And he's giving it to you right now because he knows you love it. And you love him even more for, for being sensitive to what you love. And that's how you go through life. So this is how, this is how we elevate these things. This is how the person who's left the hay because he says, I can't find the answer to any of my desires within the pavilion itself, within the realm of Torah. But then you enter, you, you, you enter, you get insight, right? You, you enter into the upper part of the hay, you return, and then you realize, oh wow, there is a way to use all these things that are inside of me in the highest, most beautiful way. Now what about covet? So we have covet is the, the search for honor. And the search for honor in, in, in many ways is, um, you know, I, I saw something, I, I don't remember the source, but they say when you're like young, like your primary like desire is sex. Then when you get a little bit older, your primary desire is for money. And then when you get older than that, your primary desire is for honor interesting anatomy anatomy because you know an honor is very devastating running after honor is very devastating because a person if they choose to live life this way can be insulted by every single person every moment of the day if they choose to see life in that way huh I see that you use this word instead of that word I see that you did that oh uh, you get to the corner. Does that, a red light? Mamish chutzpah. Does that red light know who I am? <laughs> you see insult everywhere. Mm. Everyone is insulting you all the time. Mm. And this is, this is the, what honor, the search for honor does to a person. But you have to understand that the search for honor comes from a deep-rooted sense of arrogance. You know? And, and so if you want to correct your need for honor, you have to confront your, your arrogance. And you have to say to yourself, you know something? It's okay. It doesn't have to be a party for me every single moment. <laughs> you know? I'm just happy to be here. So how do, you, how do you channel covet? How do you deal with the need for covet? How do you sublimate covet? Right? So, so I... There's a, a line in the in the in the davening which um, I really love. It says, "Haketer vehakavid, the crown. Keter is crown. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. The crown and the honor 
Lechai olamim. Belongs to the one who lives forever. Right? So I, 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 I recommend this. I'm giving this to you as a bit of advice. If you feel dishonored, right? You should just say these words to yourself. Haketer vehakavid lechai olamim. Honor and the glory, so to speak, belong to God. And that's, that, that's, that's what it is. And if you, if you live your life to be, to give covet to Shemayim, to give covet to Hashem's name, and you try to channel your need, your desire for covet, into making God's name great in this world, that's how you sublimate that aspect of yourself as well. Okay. And then all of a sudden you return back into the hay because you realize all these things that made me leave the hay, I can have all of these things within, within the world itself, within the Torah itself, and I can have them in the most exalted, refined, purified, beautiful ways. Okay. Now, the Bnei Yoyada, the Bnei Shchai, gives another explanation of leaving the hay. Right? Remember, again, we've got the letter hay. You enter, you fall out through the bottom, or you exit through the, the, the big hole there, and then you can get back through the little hole at the top. So the, the, the Bnei Yoyada says that he wants to quote a verse from Shir Shirim, the Song of Songs, to describe this process. And it, it describes um, the king, Hashem, basically, Kaviyochol, you know, this is um, metaphoric, but that there's a verse that says that, that he puts his hand through the small opening, through the small portal, and waves to me. And so what the Bnei Yoyada is saying that, that it's not just that there's a hole at the top of the hay, but that Hashem, so to speak, is putting his hand through that small opening and waving to you to come back. So, so that God will give us opportunities, will inspire us to come back if we leave. We won't just leave. He'll, he'll always be calling to us in different ways. So that's, that, that's, that's a beautiful thought because it tells you that even if you, so to speak, break off your relationship with God in whatever way that, that, that means, that God doesn't break off his relationship with us. And, and that God continues to call to us, um, even if we've left the boundaries of the hay. Okay. Now there's another aspect to the letter hay. And there's a yud on top of the hay. Um, and the yud, you know, is like a crown. It's, a, it's, it's what's called a tag. The, one of the beautifications of, 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 the, of the letters of the Torah is that they have little crowns on top of the letters called tagim. And, and so this letter yud is a tag, um, and it's on top, and it sits on top of the hay to beautify it. So, so the Gomorrah wants to know about this, this, this letter yud. What is, what, what, what's, what's going on with that letter yud? And so it says that if you return, if you fall out and you return, that that letter Yud is a crown, and it's a crown that's, that's, that's given to the Baal Tshuva, to the one who returns. Right? It's a, this signal of honor that you've returned. That's what the Yud is doing on top. Now, I saw this in a couple of very holy um, Torah books, okay? And I, I want to share this with you. So we see that the Yud is a crown, Right? So do you want to see how our, holy, our holiest rabbis are turning the letter Yud into a crown? Follow the steps. Follow the steps. Unbelievable. What I love about this is that I've seen this more than once from different holy rabbis, from like the holiest rabbis, right? Which just shows you that this was just like, oh yeah, of course. Like you want to get to Pico? Yeah, just in the corner, you take a left. That's you know, this is just like, oh yeah, this is just like a known thing, what I'm telling you right now, okay? But again, right now, I don't know where we are in our car, if we're diving underwater, if we're going into the planets, I don't know exactly. But you'll just see another methodology of, again, the philosophy and the artistry and the depth of Torah, okay? So, 
So look how we're going to turn the letter Yud into a crown. Okay? So Yud is the name of the letter, but it's also a word. Yud is a word. What, what word is Yud? It's the name of a letter. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you spell Yud? So you spell Yud, Yud, Vav, Dalit. That's how you spell the letter Yud. Okay? Now, if you take the gematria, the numerical equivalent of the, of the word Yud, it comes to 20, because Yud is 10, Vav is 6, and Dalit is 4. So that adds up to 20. So, so Yud is 20. Now, if you take the Hebrew word for 20, that's Esrim. Okay? Now, if you take the numerical equivalent of the word Esrim, that's 620. And 620 is the numerical equivalent of the word Keter, which is crown. <laughs> so we just turned a Yud into a crown. <laughs> You know, that's, that was just like, like imagine you're like in Poland in like the late 1800s and you're sitting with a rabbi and you say, let me tell you something I just learned. And he's like, man, I knew that when I was five. You know, it's like, so, so again, I want you to review the steps of this. Just, I just want you, I, it would make me happy if people could just do this like very quickly on their own. So, so try to review this during the day. It will... It'll, it'll be a good thing. Yud is 20, which is Esrim in Hebrew, and the gematria of Esrim is Keter. Okay? And Yud is 20 because we're spelling out Yud. Right? And Keter is crown. So we're turning the letter Yuds into crowns. Now remember that, because that's going to come back in a very big way when we get to the end of this talk. Yuds are going to become crowns. Okay? Very important. Now, now I want to tell you what Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says in the Afike Yam. Okay? Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver was about two generations after the Vilna Gon, and he got the Kabbalistic Masorah of the Vilna Gon, okay, from the Ari, the Zohar. Okay? All that came from the, through the Gon to Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver. He's a very, very great commentator, not as well known, but he's been blowing my mind for years. I love him. Okay? So he's now going to explain, and I don't have the whole thing. He says something much better than, I'm only telling you a little piece of, of his analysis right now. But he says something really awesome. You ready? He says that that uh, he's going to bring us to Mount Sinai. You know what? Before we get to Mount Sinai, I want to just pause for a moment. <laughs> I think we have to start in the Garden of Eden first. <laughs> okay. So we just turned a yud into a crown, which seemed pretty awesome, right? But here's my question. And this is, I want to shine a light on a larger issue, if you want to call it an issue a larger issue in Torah study, especially this type of Torah study. And I want to compare it to the following. Imagine you're on a date and you're on the beach and you see, you look up in the sky and you see like this, like this small burst of fireworks. And you're thinking, wow, that's so special and it makes this moment even more romantic. And then, you know, you leave, but it was like a very special moment. Okay? Now, what if instead of seeing fireworks at that moment, what you just saw was a flare being, fi being fired by someone who's drowning? <laughs> you, 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 you just thought, wow, it's so romantic, it's fireworks. But it was a flare! It was a flare! Someone is like dying, and you didn't even know how to understand what that was because you were just so enraptured by the pyrotechnics of it. Or, I'll give you another version of the same example. Imagine someone gives you a, a, a letter. Let's say it's like an invitation or something like this. And the, the paper, the envelope is like so like, 
Like, it's like, you know, they have some stationery, which is like the richest wallpaper, you know, like amazing, amazing stationery, like this envelope. And your name is written in this, like, unbelievable calligraphy. And you're just so amazed by it. It's like a piece of art. You just take it and you're showing it to people. Look how beautiful this is. And you hang it on your wall and you never open the envelope. (laughs) So when the sages show us how to turn a yud into a crown, that's sometimes like us, like on the beach, looking at the beautiful bit of fireworks. But we're not getting the message. We're giving this beautiful envelope, but we're not opening it up. In other words, they're trying to communicate something to us. But sometimes the presentation is so mind-blowing that we don't even know that there's another step there. Do you understand? Okay. So now, what we, what we need to do is understand, what does that mean that a yud can be turned into a crown? What does that mean? And so I want to suggest the following explanation, and then, Baruch Hashem, I, I, I saw this in Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver. He said something very, very similar. So I was very, very excited. So anyway, here, here, here's what I want to suggest. And we're back in the Garden of Eden right now. Now you have to understand something about the nature of a crown. A crown is something, the rabbis explain, that a crown is something that sits on top of your head. So, so what a crown symbolizes is that realm which is above your mind. Right? So when you have a crown on your head, what, what you're doing is you're connecting yourself in the here and now with the beyond. Okay? That's what a crown is. By the way, you should know, the Balaturim brings that that crown is not just the number 620 for, for no reason. In the Ten Commandments, in the Ten Commandments, there's 620 words. Right? So, and we talk about Keter Torah, the crown of Torah. So the crown represents all of Torah, really. Right? And it sits above our head because it allows us in our finite capacity to connect with the infinite. That's the crown. Okay? And in some systems of Kabbalah, you should know, there are ten spherot, but in some systems they add an eleventh sphera, which is Keter, which is crown which represents the ultimate beyond. In some systems, the 10th level is Keter, but there are some systems where they, they, where they actually make Keter the 11th, sitting on top of everything, which is symbolizing the ultimate beyond. Okay? So, so when we were first created, human beings were first created, we were really creatures of light. L-I-G-H-T, light. And the way the Or HaChayim puts it, he, he makes a very clear, simple thing to understand. Imagine a two-story house. So a two-story house would be like symbolizing this world and the beyond world. And a person, just like in a two-story house, you can go up and down the stairs whenever you want. This is how we were as human beings. We could... Ascend and descend, ascend and descend at will. What happened when we went against God's will and we ate from the eight hadas, from the tree of knowledge, is we became physicalized. Right? There was a certain aspect of physicality to us, but nothing like it is right now. We became really like these, like these material beings and the world itself became this material universe. And what happened was, even though, listen to this statement very carefully, even though God exists in this realm as much as he exists, 100% as much as he exists in the higher realms, even though that's true, in this realm God is very concealed. And so it leads to our perception 
that we are separated from God, which is not true. We are not separated from God. God is absolutely everywhere. However, in our day-to-day consciousness, it's very hard to see God all the time, and so it makes us feel as though we're cut off from God. In fact, one of the words that the rabbis use to name this world is the world of separation. And there is no separation, but that's coming from how we perceive things. We perceive it in that way. So in that way, in that way, because we've cut ourselves off, when we ate from the tree of knowledge, we cut ourselves off from the above, right? So to speak, we lost our crown. Because our crown is that thing which connects us to the beyond. Is that clear? So now when we became very physical, we didn't have that sense anymore. So, so to speak, we lost our crown. Okay? Now the reason, they don't really discuss crowns by the Garden of Eden. Okay? But the reason why I'm bringing that up is, is for the following. When we got to Mount Sinai, what happened at Mount Sinai was every, our perception that we lived in a world of separation was completely removed from us. And we understood our complete relationship with God was 100% restored to the point that the Gomorrah itself says that we return to the level of Adam and Eve before they ate from the tree. We became that level of stature again. And we said these historic immortal words, Nasevinishma, right? We said we will do and we will hear. And, and God said, who taught them the secret of angels? <laughs> right? Because normally speaking, like if you say to someone, can I ask you a favor? Most people will say, what? What do you want? Very few people will say, if I say to you, can I ask you a favor? They say, yeah, sure. Yeah. What, what can I do for you? Right? Because they're afraid. They're afraid that you're going to ask them something that they don't want to do or whatever it is. But our relationship, our trust in God was so complete that when God said, I have a Torah, would you like the Torah? We said, absolutely. If it's coming from you, absolutely. And we don't even know, have to know what's in it. We will do, and then afterwards we'll hear. You'll tell us what we have to do afterwards, but we're on board. We, we, we're signing. It's all good. What happened at that moment was we connected ourselves to the beyond again in the most beautiful way. And it says that angels came, flocks of angels, myriads of angels came, and they put two crowns on our head. Now, I want you to all be hearing in the back of your head, wait a second, Yud is a crown, Yud is a crown, okay, good. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so they put two crowns on our heads, one for Nase and one for Nishma. One for each phrase, we will do, and then we'll hear, we'll find out the details, but we want to do so the crowns were restored. So, so, so now, what, what did we hear? What restored the crowns? What restored the crowns? What restored us to our place? The Aseris Adibros, translated as the Ten Commandments. What letter, what letter is ten in Torah? Yud. So the Torah restored our connection to the above. That's why the letter Yud, bless you, that's why the letter Yud is a crown. (laughs) Because through the Yud, which is ten, through the Ten Commandments, we restored our connection to the beyond. That's the message. That's the message. It's not just a sleight of hand. Yud is Yud Vav Dalit, which is 20, which is Esrim, which is 620, which is Keter, which is crown. No, it's taking us from, that teaching is taking us from the Garden of Eden all the way to Mount Sinai. Now, what happened? We, we did the Chete Ego, we did the sin of the golden calf. And then what happened? It says those flocks, those myriads of angels returned and they took the crowns off of our heads. 
And then what's the next line of the Gomorrah? In Lasiv Lavod, in time to come, the crowns are going to be restored to us. That is, that is the destiny of humanity, that it will be restored to us. That our sense, our connection with the infinite, our connection to the beyond, is the destiny of humanity, and it will be restored. It's coming. It's coming. Okay. Now, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says that that's why there's this Yud, which is a crown, on the top of the letter Hey. Because you drop out of the bottom, like with the sin of the golden calf, or whatever we do wrong, but then we return through the opening, and we, we're going to get our crowns back. We're going to get our crowns back. That's why when we return, there's that Yud on top of the Hey, which is a crown. Because returnees are going to get their crowns back. And all of humanity is going to get their crowns back. Okay. Now, now we're driving toward the finish line. And now we're going to pick up the subject again where we started. If you remember, we started with the broken Vav from the word Shalom. And we had a question, which is Shalom comes from the word shalem, which means complete. So why should this word, of all words, if, okay, okay, for whatever reason, God wants to have a broken vav in the Torah. He has so many opportunities, there's so many vavs in the Torah. You can break any vav that you want, God. You have to pick a vav in the word shalom, which means complete, to have something broken? What's going on? Okay. Now, before we can answer that, we're, we're gonna, we have to go back to the first letter of the Torah. <laughs> okay? And again, we're really exploring the shapes of the Torah, we're ta- the, sh- the shapes of the letters, the DNA of the Torah, the artistry of the Torah, the philosophy, the destiny of mankind, and we're seeing how we're all seeing it within the shapes of the letters themselves. An amazing thing. Amazing thing. This is just an aspect of the Torah's infinity. Okay. Now it says in the Shema that we say twice a day, the three paragraphs of the Shema, in the Via Hafta, in the command to love God, it says that these words, meaning the words of Torah, it says, Vidibarta Bam, that, that you should speak Bam, meaning these words. But, it, but for some reason, God decided to call the entirety of Torah Bam. Like it's almost like a. I don't know if it's I'm not very good at grammar, maybe a pronoun or something like that. These, right? Bum. Why is all of Torah referred to as bum? Bez mem. And it's not just a mem, it's a final mem. Okay? Well, there are many beautiful reasons why Torah is called bum. So, you know, there are two aspects to Torah. There's what we call Torah Shebek Tzav, which is the five books of the Torah, the, the Chumash, right? The, the, that's, that's, that's the written Torah. But then we also have what's called Torah Shabal Peh, the oral Torah, which is God's own explanations of the written Torah. Like, you want to know what this passage means? God exp- when God gave the Torah to Moshe at Mount Sinai, God also explained to Moshe what that passage meant. But he said, don't write that down. That's going to be an oral tradition. Okay? So we have the written words, and then we have God's own explanations for those words. That's called the oral law. Okay. Now listen to this amazing thing. And both of them together are the Torah. Now the first letter of the written Torah is the letter Bez of Bam. The last letter of the oral Torah is a final mem in the word shalom, which means peace, right? So the first letter of the written Torah and the last letter of the oral law together spell the word bum. Amazing thing. So, so, so if you will need an abbreviation for the whole Torah, that's, that's actually a pretty good one, isn't it? Not only that, but it's Gematria 42, which we discussed last week and 
Every once in a while, 42 stops in the desert, 42 stops, says the Baal Shem Tov, in each one of our lives from exile to redemption. So 42 is this all-encompassing thing, and it's also describing the entirety of the Torah. Okay, very good. Now the last word of, of Torah, of Torah Shabal Peh, the oral law, is this word shalom, which makes sense, actually. Shalom means peace. And shalom is the last word of the Torah, of the oral Torah, because the rabbis teach us the greatest vessel, the greatest container that you can have to hold blessings. See, can you imagine like you have the finest wine, someone gives you the finest wine, hundreds of dollars, this bottle of wine, right? And he pours it into a glass that's got a big hole on the bottom. And he just keeps on pouring and pouring and pouring, and the wine keeps on just spilling out. That's, that's a lot of us. We have holes in our containers, and there is blessing coming in, but we can't keep the blessing because we're so angry all the time, and we're so dissatisfied all the time, and we're so jealous all the time. And so there's a big hole that's just draining all the blessing that's coming in. But if a person is has shalom, peace, if a person has peace, right, then they're a complete container, a complete vessel, and then they can hold blessing. And that's why shalom is the last word of the Torah, because it's a vessel to hold all of the Torah that's come before it. By the way, the last word of birkas hamazon, the grace after meals, the last word of the, of the whole thing is the word shalom. Because, you know, and I'm guilty of this, it's a horrible thing. You ever have a full meal, and guess what? You know what I'd like to do? Eat some more. <laughs> I'd like to eat some more. How will you eat? Yeah, can you be eating some more? You just had a full meal. So the last word, the last word of Birkas Hamazon is Shalom. It's a vessel to receive what you've just had. By the way, I could just give you um, a bit of practical advice on that. I want to be as practical with these things as possible. We call these series of talks, by the way, Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. So I, I always want to combine the very practical. So the Rambam gives very good advice for overeating, by the way, which is that you should eat until your belly is something like two-thirds full. And, and I learned from my mother growing up that... that it takes 20 minutes for the stomach to signal the brain that it's full. So in other words, if a person eats very quickly, they could be full, but the stomach just hasn't told the brain that they're full. So that's why you have to, you have to stretch out your meal. You have to eat slowly. Or if you eat quickly, leave the house and go for a walk. You have to let those 20 minutes kick in because then you won't be hungry. Okay? So that's just a little bit of practical advice being and by the way being shalom making a vessel so that you can actually receive the blessing that you've gotten by the way in birkas kahanam the priestly blessing the last word of that is shalom in other words that you should be able to contain the 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 blessing that's just come down from heaven okay so you can pray for inner peace and there's a there's two very nice um, things that you can pray for if you, if you want inner peace. In Hebrew, we call it menuchas hanefesh, which means a resting of the soul. And nefesh, by the way, is the lowest aspect of your soul. That's sort of the most animalistic aspect of your soul. So menuchas hanefesh means that you should feel a deep sense of peace, right, of rest, of of. of Quietude, and then you also have something called yishuvadas. Yishuvadas means means that the mind is sitting, that the mind is resting, the mind is tranquil. So, so that the mind and the soul should both be in a tranquil place. These are things that you can pray for, so that you should be a more um, a more uh, sturdy vessel in order to hold the blessings that come down all the time. 
Okay. So we know that the end of the the end of the world, since the Torah is kind of like a timeline as well. So the end of the the end of the Torah, the last word of the Torah is going to hint at the end of days. Right? Because it's not just you know, there's two overlaps. There's a the text itself and, and it's also a timeline. So it makes sense that the last word of the Torah would be shalom, peace, completion. Right? Yeah. Because that's that's the destiny of the world. Okay. So so now let's get back into the letters, and I want to tell you another teaching from Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver, something very awesome. And we're going back to the word bam. Remember, bam, the dibarta bam, these words should be in your mouth, and bam represents the whole Torah. It's the first letter of the written Torah and the last letter of the oral law. Okay, now, if you look at the letters bays and final mem, right, you'll see that they're almost exactly the same. There's one small difference between a bays and a final mem, which is that a bays is like a three-sided box, but then one side is open. With a final mem, it's a completely closed box. All four sides are closed. So a so you have to be a little bit deeper now. We're, we're getting a little bit deep, be a little bit more creative right now. You have to understand that a bays is a final mem in the making. Do you understand? It's, 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 it's not quite there. Three of the four sides are closed, but it hasn't gotten to the fourth side being closed yet. Okay. Now we're going to go a little bit deeper. What does that mean philosophically on the deepest level that right now we live in a world where the fourth side isn't closed yet. What does that mean, actually? Okay? Now remember, the Torah is black fire on white fire. What that means is, is black fire, just like you can see the... Remember, a Torah scroll is not just ink on a page. Like that that white, that cloth, that, that, that white aspect behind it has spiritual might and spiritual integrity as well. In fact, just like two letters can't be touching each other, the black ink can't be touching other black ink, there's another way to say that, which is that the white space of the Torah has to surround each letter. Do you understand? So, so, so I don't want you to think of the white fire of the Torah as just sort of being just something to put the ink on. That's not what it is. We, we have, you have to think of it more with greater dimensionality, that we've got basically a blueprint for the revealed world. That's the black ink, because you can see it. That's the here and now. That's your body. That's a chair. That's the walls, right? That's the black ink, the revealed aspects of the universe. And then you have the white behind it, which are all the spiritual realms that are there. You just can't see them. Okay, so now let's revisit the bays. We know that that final line is going to be drawn, which is going to turn that three-sided character into a complete box, into a final mem. The final mem of shalom, the completion of creation. It's there, but we can't see it. So what is it that's there right now in our lives, but we can't see it? That's the question. And Rav Yisak Isaac Haver says, you ready? It's the reward for the righteous. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that fascinating? Because you say, I do good. Where's my stuff? Where's my stuff? I'm doing good all the time. Where's my stuff? It's there. It just hasn't been revealed yet. And it's come. Because that base, remember we said that base is it's it's evolving. It's evolving into a final mem. That three-sided box is evolving into a completely closed box. Where the reward for the righteous will be completely revealed. It's coming. Again, we've got the whole destiny of the world. The whole destiny of the world in the DNA of the letters. Alright. Now we're ready for the broken vav of Shalom. And this will tie everything together. Now, 
when you break a vav, when you break a vav, and I, I don't, I, I apologize to the Rav, the Holy Rav, I don't have his name right now, but it's, it's a commentary that he's making on the Balaturim, okay? And he says that the, he says that the Balaturim is said, by the way, that the broken vav, you know what happens when you break a vav into two? You make two yuds. Ah, now we're ready to put absolutely everything together. Because what do we know a yud is? A yud is a crown. And what is, what's been promised to us? There's two yuds, which means there's two crowns. What did we say at Mount Sinai? Na sevenishma, we will do and we will hear. God, just tell us what to do. It's coming from you, we know it's good. And then we'll get the details, we'll do it. And we got a crown on each of our heads. And the word shalom is the destiny of the world, right? Peace in the world, shalom, completeness. And why are we incomplete right now? Because our below isn't connected to our above. And how can we restore that connection? Through nasev nishma then the crowns return to our heads. And then we become shalom, we become shalem. And so the separation in the letter Vav, it's not a diminishment. We were saying up until now, how could it be that, the, that, the, that you've got a broken Vav in, 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 the, in the word itself that symbolizes the completion of everything? It's, it's, it's too much of a contradiction. How can it be? Now we see it's not a contradiction at all. It's the fulfillment of the destiny of humanity and of the whole world. It's two yuds, which are the two crowns, which are going to be returned to our heads, and our connection from below to below, above is going to be completely restored in the end, when there's peace, when there's completeness. And I want to tell you something even deeper, which is along these lines. When two yuds is sometimes you'll see in like a prayer book is, a, is an abbreviation for a name of God. It's actually not a name of God. Yud Yud is not a name of God. But you'll open up books and you'll see it written as a name of God. It's actually an abbreviation. It's an abbreviation. You see, there are two names together. And these two names together, these two divine names together, which are sort of interweaved to each other, and if you open up a Sephardic sitter, you'll see the names interweaved. It's all over the prayer book. It's the Yudke Vavke, this divine, infinite name of God, and the name, what they call Adnus. Aleph, it's spelled Aleph, Dalid, Nun, and Yud, which means God's mastery over the created spheres. So you have this interplay when you interweave these two names of God. You begin with the letter Yud of yud ke vav Then you go to the letter Aleph of Adnus, right? Then you go to the letter He. Then you go to the letter Dalit. And you continue to interweave them until it ends with the final Yud of the word Adnus. would be pronounced Adonai, by the way. So, so it begins with a Yud and it ends with a Yud. And so they abbreviate it by just taking the two yuds together and calling that a name of God. But those two yuds stand for heaven and earth. And so what we have here with the word shalom at the end with the two two yuds is not just human beings being restored to their original glory, the below being connected to the above, but we have these two yuds which symbolize heaven and earth coming together in peace.